Welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. We're delighted that you came this morning. We're eager to get into God's Word. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll spend most of our time this morning on that chapter. We're going to be talking about remembering your citizenship, who you really belong to, what, uh, what, what tribe, what bunch is, is who you belong to. We're going to talk about remembering our alienation and what in the world does alienation mean. And then finally, we're going to try to apply some of these things in remembering our reconciliation. Just, just to review in terms of what God is doing, God made a perfect world for a man to dwell in. And, of course, uh, man chose to rebel. And you remember that story from the, the Garden of Eden? In that rebellion, God was left with a dilemma. How in the world do you fix this mess? Man was supposed to be God's steward of the earth, his primary means of developing and bringing the earth to fruition. And right at the the head of that, man heads off in the wrong direction. God responds in a remarkable way in coming up with a plan for the ages that's just a little hard to believe. But God, though he gave man a perfect world to live in and, uh, and saw us rebel against him, has chosen to respond by giving even more. How many of you would do that? I sure wouldn't. But that is who God is. How would you feel? Say there was a new reality TV show and they're following some very, very rich guy around. And what he does is he stops total strangers and gives them a billion dollars each. Would that be crazy? That's more money than you can spend in a lifetime. I mean, I guess, I don't know, unless you're buying islands or something. (laughs) That, That would just be insane, wouldn't it? And yet, and yet, what God has given each of us who believe in Christ is more than a billion dollars. And one way to look at that is that God is crazy. Perhaps another way to look at it is that this world has gone nuts. And praise God, he alone is sane and is restoring this planet we live on to sanity. Just a a remarkable occurrence. In Genesis chapter 11, I'll I'll just go through this very quickly. Uh, We have the story of, of... of of one of the ways in which God dealt with man early on after his rebellion. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of of Babel. And uh, all all men were united, one language, um, and they they built a city in the land of Shinar. And they said, hey, you know, let's make us a tower. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the, over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man, man had built. 
And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible uh, for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. What's fascinating about this story is that God says, if men were ever to be truly united, there would be nothing that they propose to do that would be impossible. God has built in a huge power of unity into us. One of the results of the fall is that we are alienated from one another, and real unity with other human beings is really hard to get. And what God is doing in that is allowing us to experience what he experienced in our rebellion against him. And he's trying to use that experience to help motivate us to uh, to quit rebelling. <laughs> but our sin goes deeper than that. It's not just a man's inhumanity to man that's the result of, of our rebellion. It's, it's also... Uh, our our rebellion against uh, well it's it's our hatred of ourselves. One of the things that we experience on a daily basis is death, and whenever we whenever we sin, whenever we rebel against God, He allows us to experience alienation from ourselves. How many of you find yourself doing stuff that you wish you didn't do? Has that ever happened to anybody here? You know, that happened to the Apostle Paul. Read Romans 7 one time. He says, I don't even understand myself. How, why do I do this? <clears throat> That's a result of the fall. And then it all really goes back to our alienation from God himself. We were just not made to be separated from him. So we're going to, we're going to remember our citizenship we're going to look at remembering the heavenlies. That is the basis for getting all of this straightened out, is what God has said is true in the heavenlies. We're going to remember our alienation from one another and how God is using that. And then finally, we're going to look at some applications in remembering our, uh, our remembering our reconciliation. <clears throat> so Hebrew, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this air, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a pretty bleak description, is it not? Why does Paul start out here? He wants us to, to rip away the blinders and see the real condition that is out there. This, this is what happens. This is the world we live in when we go on autopilot. If we follow the course of this world, if, then we end up following the prince of the power of the air. And he's, um, this is another expression, uh, describing Satan. 
And what he's saying is, is that the people of this world follow Satan. And all of a sudden, the nightly news begins to make sense, right? <clears throat> you know, people talk about the Bible being out of date. It seems to me like it's the script for the evening news. And, and what Paul is saying here is that this spirit, the spirit of Satan, is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And that, apart from Christ, is our title. We were all born as sons of disobedience. It talks about the, that, uh, that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind. And this is just such a common thing. It is, it is what we see going on around us today. Why does Paul go through this grim stuff in such detail? Well, let me tell you a story. Uh, and I, I, I heard this from uh, somebody that sells insurance, particularly life insurance. And he described their game plan for selling life insurance is that when he sits down with somebody, the first thing he wants to do is back the hearse up to the door <laughs> and open the door and get his customer to look in the back of the hearse and see the coffin. Why does he want to do that? He wants these people that he's selling to, to consider that death is inevitable and that he wants to motivate them to buy his insurance. Because most people try to go along ignoring the fact that death is coming. He wants them to see it so that they will take action. So that's why Paul wants to remind us that we were truly, really dead. Um, <clears throat> not dead in a friendly way, but really dead. Not that death is all that friendly. But what we're talking about is that sons of disobedience, um, once we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. A horrible description here. This uh, couple that uh, where I performed the, the ceremony on, on Friday, you know, and <sighs> there's a lot of issues. And, and I'm not... And, I'm not going to go into all the issues. But one of the things I did was I talked to them about the challenge of making marriage work. When you consider that you're taking two self-centered sinners and asking them to live in real intimacy, what are they going to find in that intimacy? They are going to find that each of them is a self-centered sinner, right? Right. You know, the, the, the miracle or the, the, the most remarkable thing about, uh, marriage is, is, um, is actually the fact that the divorce rate is so low. When you look at what people without Christ are trying to do, how in the world does it ever work? Because what it actually takes to make it work is for people to choose to lay down their lives for each other. 
And so that's one of the, the main passages that I used was Philippians chapter 2, where it talked about, talks about Christ laying aside all of his, uh, all of his, all of the attributes of deity and becoming a servant for our sake. Because that's what it takes to make a marriage work. That's what it takes to make any human relationship work. That's what it takes to make a relationship with God work. Okay, so remember the heavenlies. This is one of the truths that that we need to remember. And that's that apart from Christ, we were really truly dead. But, Paul says, now we are made alive with riches. Verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When did God choose to show us mercy? Well, it was, of course, it was after you realized how you were headed the wrong way and you repented and you went and you fessed up and asked his forgiveness. And then he showed you mercy. No, actually, Christ died on the cross for us before any of us were alive. That God has chosen to show mercy on us while we were still in our trespasses and sin, while we were still in rebellion. This is crazy. This is crazy. This this is this is love to a degree that is literally unknown apart from Jesus. So how great is the love with which he has loved us? If it gets any greater than this, I'm just going to have real trouble believing it. And of course, that's the reason why Jesus had to die. If he if you know, why didn't God just sit up there in the heavenlies and send some decree down saying, okay, I'll forgive you if you just repent. You know, we wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't believe that he would be that gracious. But when he sent his own son to die, how do you you deny that? How do you deny that? So he made us together alive with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. My conception for the first years after I became a Christian was that that the Lord had truly saved me. And I was immensely grateful for that. But as I looked forward to the future and what things might be like in heaven... What I thought is that I would probably be allowed in because of Christ. I mean, after all. But the you know, thing that God would be thinking as he let me in was, oh, man. Well, I guess he got to let him in, too. And I'd be led over to my reserve seat, and it would be, you know, in the nosebleed section behind a pillar. And, you know. But you know what? I would just be so delighted to be there. It wouldn't bother me at all, you know, just to be let in. Look at where God says you are going to sit in heaven. Picture the, picture the great white throne. Picture the, the, 
the elders and the apostles on each of their throne. Picture the glassy sea. And we're welcomed into his presence. Where is it that we are? And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So you want to know where you're going to be? You're going to share Christ's throne with him. That's how much he wants you to know that he loves you. Does anybody here deserve that? (laughs) Even now, even now that I'm reading this and I'm telling you about it, and I know that it's true because Jesus died, I still can't believe it. That's just too much. And he did this when we were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together with Christ. So not only has he shared his own throne with us, in the coming ages, he desires to show us additional grace that Paul describes here as immeasurable. Immeasurable. Well, I think we passed immeasurable long ago. So we were dead, we were made alive with riches, and then in 8 through 10, by grace we're created for good. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By his grace, God created us for good works. And our conception is that, oh yeah, well, you know, the, the sinners are the ones that have all the fun. They're the ones that enjoy life. And, uh, yeah, we've got to be holy. We've got to all get harps and, you know, play tunes. Right. I want to go play football. I don't play harps. Um, And we've got completely the wrong conception. We are the ones getting all the goodies. Those that, those that choose to rebel against God are left eating mud pies or worse. We are the ones that, that He created for good. And, and certainly He created us for good works. Have you ever done really a good job on something? How did you feel when you got done with that? Were you glad you did that? Can you imagine an eternity of doing things that are really excellent? That everything you do just, you know, is, is the way it should be, totally. Can't get any better. Would you like to do that? And God creating us for good works is not laying a burden on us. He's allowing us to experience all the best. So this is uh, the, the place that Christ has us in the heavenlies, remembering that we were dead, really dead. And then remembering that we're alive with riches, and then by grace created for good things, all the good things. By becoming a Christian... <laughs> What does Jesus say? You you give up your life that you may get it. 
And what he means is you're giving up your life with all of the dead stuff in it that you may get a life that's truly alive. Most people would look at that and say, huh, I'm not giving up anything. I'm getting all of the good stuff. So to become a Christian, we, we really don't give up anything. The only thing we give up are the things that are getting in the way of the really good stuff arriving. So remember the heavenlies. And then in, in uh, verse 11, Paul um, uh, kind of goes back again to where he was before. And he's talking about remembering our alienation, remembering how we were separated. And so he's going to take this um, this thing with the heavenlies and he's going to bring it into the realm of, of human relationships. And he talks about, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So he's taking us back to remember again uh, our alienation, our, our separation. Alienation is just a big word that means being treated as a foreigner, being treated as someone who doesn't belong. So <clears throat> at, uh, at the time this book was, was written, um, the word Gentiles referred to everyone in the world who was not a Jew. And, uh, and the Jews called them the uncircumcision, they called themselves the circumcision. And he reminds them that not only were they separated from Israel, they were separated from Christ, who came through Israel. The, uh, what, what had been preached before uh, the Christ came with the gospel is that in order to get God's blessings, you had to become Jewish. You had to get circumcised. You had to agree to keep the law. Um, there were a number of uh, procedures they had you go through. But basically, it was a very weighty thing to become a Jew. It affected every area of your life. And there were 101 different rules that they debated endlessly uh, that you had to keep. What Paul is saying here is that though they were separated from Christ, Alienated from the Congress of uh, Commonwealth of Israel, they were also strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But even though they could know about these things, they were separated from all hope. So very, very similar to what he said before about the fact that we were just dead. So remember your alienation, separated from hope. And then in 13 through 17, brought near in peace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love that phrase, how they translated that there, that God is killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. By those who were far off, he's talking about the Gentiles, anyone not a Jew, peace to those who were near, and, and that is to the Jews. So there was no way that, that we could have peace without becoming Jewish. The problem was that even that wouldn't really work. That even did we become Jewish and obeyed all of those little rules and regulations, even that really didn't pay for our sin. And so there would not be peace. But what Christ has done is he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. By his death, he paid for our sin. Um, <clears throat> there's a, um, an older set of novels now. It was turned into a, a, some movies, and these are the Tom Clancy no- novels. started with Hunt for Red October, and that became a movie. And Anybody ever seen any of those, those movies? Oh, yeah, they're all thrillers. They're really good. And one of the later novels that was not made into a movie, uh, President Jack Ryan has been president and is, his term has now expired and he's leaving. And near the end of his term, he realizes that the guy succeeding him is not going to do a good job of protecting national security. So he sets up this little private corporation that will take it on. And, of course, if you have private citizens out there just doing this apart from government authorization, it's a little iffy, right? So <laughs> what President Ryan does is he signs a bunch of blanket presidential pardons. And the theory being that these people that then go and do these things are automatically pardoned. So even if they um, are not... Uh, dotting all the I's, if they're doing the right thing in terms of national security, then they're, they're in good shape. Uh, a little fanciful, but it gives you the idea that uh, if you had a blanket presidential pardon, would you feel fairly above the law? <laughs> in the old James Bond movies, they, they used to talk that uh, James Bond, an agent of British military intelligence, um, contradiction in terms, you know, military intelligence. <laughs> You've heard that, sorry. Um, anyway, James Bond had a license to kill, right? And he could just shoot people that needed shooting. <laughs> Scary thought. That's what God has done for us. He has given us freedom from the law. And in giving us that freedom from the law, we are pre-forgiven. We have been the beneficiaries of that billion dollars. And God is trusting that if he gives us that kind of freedom, that, that we will then go and do what's right. That's, uh, you know, and it's just really fascinating. Why would we do that? 
And and the reason is, well, there's a bunch of reasons. It's good for us. It's good for the people around us. It's worthwhile to live that way. And anything else actually produces death in us. But it does sound a little crazy to abolish that law and to to bring people like us near to him in peace. So we remember our alienation. We're separated from hope. We're brought near in peace. And now we are kingdom citizens. We have a different identity. Verse 18 through the end of the chapter. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. So we are now kingdom citizens we are welcomed into God's kingdom into God's kingdom based on his calling of us and our acceptance of Christ's work on our behalf so we now have a new identity we are different people why then do we sometimes go and do the wrong thing well we've taken our eye off the ball If we're going to spend eternity with the Lord, why would we be down here fouling up doing the wrong thing? Is that going to be a little hard to explain when we get up there? Do you really want to be doing that? And so when we take our eye off the ball, when we remember, when we fail to remember all that God has done for us, we slip back into whole old habits and we do those things that we ought not to do. So we now le- need to remember what kingdom we are actually citizens of and start living for that. So I'd like to talk a little bit. We've talked about remembering the heavenlies, that, that place in where God uh, reveals ultimate truth and how he regards us there. We need to Remember our alienation. And now I'd like to talk about our reconciliation. You can look at the, um, the effects of sin in us as basically causing alienation at three levels. One is spiritually alienation from God. Obviously, if we're rebelling against God, uh, we're alienated from him. The second area is socially. We end up alienated uh, from each other. And then the third is psychologically, we end up alienated from ourselves. The spiritual alienation from God is the root cause of it all. And when Christ reconciles us to God, he fixes the root cause. It'll also fix these other things. And in all three areas, there's yet a lot to do. For instance, socially, that person that you're relating to that may be a difficult person to relate to, what do we do in our minds that enables us to be, to cut them out of our life, to uh, not 
include them, to uh, be mean to them? What enables us to maintain that enemy status with someone else? We have to go through this thing in our minds where we say, okay, yeah, they're not good people. They're not like us. They are someone who of a different category, right? You ever get really mad at somebody and uh, immediately you stop saying, well, I think they shaded the truth a little bit. And as you as you get madder and madder at them, all of a sudden it starts coming out that they are a liar. And you see what you've done? You've just escalated that. We forget the reality. This person that you're mad at, they may end up being someone you spend eternity with in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, it's good to see you. Oh, yeah, that last time we talked, that wasn't so good, was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we ought to think about having that heavenly perspective now. Because that is how God regards it now. It's just in our mind that we have warped it into something different. We need to be thinking about, okay, this is someone that Christ loves. This is someone that either maybe or potentially may be a brother and sister for eternity. Maybe we ought to work things out. And uh, there, there was a, a lot of relational trouble this, uh, at this wedding I was uh, officiating at. Um, and so uh, last week I, I made a number of phone calls to the various people involved. And the, the thing that I kept saying is, okay, there's things that have gone on in this situation that we all regret. The point is, where do we go from here? We we are brothers and sisters in Christ, are we not? Um, how how did, you know? And, and weddings always involve families. Uh, do you want to actually have a part of your family that you're not connected with? Maybe a large part of your family that you're not connected with. Do you want to be able to come home at Christmas? Do you, do you want to be able to see the grandkids? Do you want to grant your kids to see the grandparents? Um, how, how long do you want to carry carry on with these disagreements? And, uh, you know, in the one situation, there was... Uh, uh, it was one of the more difficult conversations I had, and initially we weren't getting anywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I went through some of these things and, and, and told this, you know, talked to this individual about it. And uh, um, at first, you know, he had said he wasn't even going to be at the wedding. Um, and just as we, as we talked about where, where does we go from here? How do we take a positive step at this point? All of a sudden, I could tell his, his, his heart just changed. And he said, okay, I'll be there. And he agreed to do everything that, that someone in his position needed to do at a wedding. It, it was just remarkable. There was a, another person there, and I told him about this change of heart on the part of this, 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 this person. And that other person 
had just been very, very angry at the other person. And I told him about the change of heart. And it, and it was just amazing how things changed. As he incorporated that, oh, he's going to do that? Oh, well, I, I, I guess I had to make friends with him. Yeah. And that change of perspective where we see things through the lens of what God has done for us in Christ changes every single relationship. And then for ourselves, all of us have uh, have experienced the results of sin in our lives. Uh, the Bible describes it as death. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of things, uh, but as part of the, that sin, we we experience things like guilt. We experience shame. Uh, have you ever um, done some things and then realized you can never walk back into a room with those people in it because of how sh- ashamed you feel? Anybody that, that ever knows what you ever did. You know, it's like, I can never go back in there again. Um, And what happens is we end up deeply ashamed of ourselves. We end up alienated from ourselves. How in the world does that ever get fixed? Because you know what? You cannot make up for what you've done wrong. You really can't. You know, you can ask forgiveness and maybe somebody can forgive you, but you can't make it as though you never did it. What in the world can fix that? How can you forgive yourself? Because you screwed up. Well, wonder if the one true righteous judge of the universe came, took your sin on himself, and said, okay, you're now not guilty. You know what? That puts a whole different thing, uh, um, a whole different perspective on things. In fact, what if God had actually consigned us to disobedience? What if he takes the responsibility for the whole thing? What if he consigned us to disobedience that he might have mercy on us all? And if you're familiar with the passage, that is Romans 11.32. For God has consigned us to disobedience, that he may have mercy on us. He takes the responsibility. If there's any shame, if there's any guilt, he takes it on himself. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So remember your reconciliation, totally reconciled to God, the basis for real reconciliation to other people around us, and actually a real way to deal with our shame and our guilt. And it's all based in the sacrifice of Christ for our sake. So we we need to remember how God views us in the heavenlies, We need to remember our alienation from each other, from the world and and the world around us and how God has dealt with us and that we're now kingdom citizens. We need to see how in all these areas of, of alienation 
separation, that God has actually provided the answer. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful.